You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good afternoon, everyone. The last couple of weeks we've been in chapter 13, and that's where we're going to be again today. So if you have a Bible with you, could you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? We're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read it out to us, and then we're going to dig into uh, one verse in particular today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues or languages, as we've heard in recent weeks, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. If you were here last week, then you will have heard me speak on this chapter again. And I shared that this love is so perfect. The love depicted in this passage is so perfect that it's not really talking about our love at all. It's talking about the love of God. It's talking about the perfect love of God and that in and of ourselves, we cannot produce this kind of love. We can't just kind of squeeze our eyes tightly and try and love like this. And if we want any reminder of the fact that this is really talking about the love of God, well, in verse 8, it says this, love never ends. Love never ends. And in the original language, which was Greek, this could also be translated, it never falls, it never collapses. This love never folds under intense pressure. This love is never failing. And that is not like our love at all, because our love fails. Our love collapses under pressure. Sometimes even under the slightest pressure, it can collapse. And we can be envious or boastful or impatient or unkind. Our love isn't like that, but God's love is like this. God's love never ends. These verses are true of the love of God. You could put Jesus' name in place of love in this passage and it would hold up as completely true. This is God's love. And as I said last week, we can marvel at this love. We're to rejoice in it. We're to uh, revel in it. We're to soak in it. And with the help of the Holy Spirit within us, we can demonstrate something of this love. However, imperfectly. But I want to speak a little bit about God's love for us this morning. And I know we've sung about that at great length, and that was so encouraging to me. 
because this is what I want to focus on this morning. I want to speak about how his never-collapsing love changes everything, how his never-failing love changes everything, and it gives us great confidence, that when we grasp it, it gives us great confidence. And Paul illustrates the truth of God's never-failing love Uh, in a couple of ways in this chapter. Firstly, after reeling off these amazing things about what love is and what love is not, he starts to uh, compare some things with uh, eternity. He says, love's going to go on and on and on. It's never going to end. One day we're going to see Jesus face to face. And when we see Jesus face to face, all of these things like prophecy and uh, the gift of languages and knowledge, all these things that they as a church held dear, they are going to end. But love will remain. Love will go on. It will never fail. And what we see now is completely different to what we'll see then. Right now, it's like we're children, but then we'll be adults. And if you want to know anything about the difference between children and adults, you you need to get involved with the kids' work. And you'll see, you'll see that your life as an adult is very, very different to that of a child's. There's not much in common. And, you know, as a child, you don't really see it. But actually, as an adult, you can think, wow, my experience of life is completely different to theirs. That the only things we have in common are that they eat and sleep, and they do that very differently as well. But actually, what we see now, what we grasp of Jesus now, is it doesn't even begin to compare with what it will be when we see him face to face. It will be like, right now we see him dimly in a reflection of a mirror, but then we will eyeball him. We'll be able to touch him and see him face to face. And so there's a coming a time where it will be so perfect that these gifts that the apostles talking about, they're going to fade. And dare I say, even faith and hope will not be needed because when all is sight, where is the need for faith? When all is fulfilled, where is the need for hope? But love will remain because God himself is love. He is love, as I shared last week. We see that in 1 John 4. He himself is love. He himself is eternal. And therefore, love will go on and on and on. Love as a reality lasts forever. Love will outlast everything. God's love will fill everything in a new heaven and a new earth. And because uh, God's love is eternal, and because love will go on and on, love is to be our priority. I think that's the logic that we're seeing here from the Apostle Paul. Because this thing is going to go on forever, because love is going to remain forever, that is to be the thing that we prioritize. That's why he says, pursue love. That's why he says, pursue love, because it's going to go on forever. Everything else that you may pursue, everything else that you have maybe given much time and energy to pursuing, everything else that you might spend money on pursuing, it's going to fade away. But pursue love because it's going to last forever. And in the next chapter, he will say, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. But that's in the context of pursuing love. That's in the context of a life that is given over to pursuing love. And listen, we can only pursue this love because as we heard from Tim earlier, because he has first loved us. This is, we must never get that the wrong way around. We must never think, I've got to do some things in order to get God to love me. No, he's first loved us. He's lavished love upon us. And from the overflow of that, of receiving his love, now we pursue a life of love. No matter how much you have experienced the love of Christ, I want to tell you this morning that there are oceans of love in God's heart that you haven't even begun to touch with your experience. 
And in the time that I have remaining this morning, I simply want to unpack that love for us. I want to spend some time depicting this to you. Are you up for that? Yeah, are you up for that? You really up for that? Good, let's do this. I want to ask you a question at the outset uh, of this sort of mini preach, as it were. Do you believe that the love of God will never leave you? Do you believe that the love of God will never leave you? Just think about that for a moment. I believe that the Apostle Paul, whose words we've read from this morning, I believe he knew that to be true of himself, that the love of God would never end for him. The love of God would never leave him. And I believe that it's true of all those who are in Christ, all those who have given their lives over to him and received his love and grace and forgiveness. Paul believed this. He believed that his whole life, which included at least five public whippings, at least three public beatings with sticks, at least three shipwrecks and a whole night holding on to a piece of wood in an ocean, several imprisonments, friends abandoning him and letting him down, and churches maligning him and going back on what he had taught them. He believed that his whole life that included all those things, he was sure that his whole life was under the love of God. That, that, that God's love didn't change in any of that time. He believed that the love of God never ends. And we're just going to read some um, amazing verses in Romans chapter 8, that, uh, where the Apostle Paul depicts this love for the church in Rome. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 8 so you can see this for yourself. Yes, it's going to be on the screens around the room, but there's something powerful about this, and it's also helpful to get this bookmarked in your Bible. So I'm going to share in a little while. It is such an important passage. So Paul has been speaking some amazing truths about what God has done for us in Christ. And then he says this in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge to God's elect, against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I can imagine that in a room this size, there's people going through some tricky stuff right now. 
I don't have to be you know, particularly prophetic to know that. I know some of your circumstances, and I know that some of you, you are going through some very hard times. And some of you, I don't know a clue, I don't have a clue about what you're going through, but some of you are going through some stuff, and you are beginning to wonder, can, does, can it be that God really loves me? Does he really love me? And I'm going through all of this stuff. Maybe you think he's turned against you. Maybe you don't think he's just abandoned you, but you think he's turned against you. Sometimes our sufferings are so great that we, we cannot see how God could possibly love us in that circumstance. And maybe that's true of you today. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe you've messed up in some way. And you think, how on earth could it be that God's love could really go on and on for me? How could it be that I could not be separated from this love? Maybe you think his love has given up on you. Maybe you think it has fallen. It has collapsed under pressure. Maybe you're looking ahead at the months to come and you're thinking, if those things do happen that I think are going to happen, if it really does play out as I think it's going to be played out, then I, there's no way that God could love me if that really happens. Maybe there's no, there's no way that he could really be for me as I've read in this passage. Well, whenever you doubt his love, you need to head to Romans chapter 8. You need to head to this passage because truly it is such a deep, rich ocean of God's promises for you to hold on to, for you to grasp a hold of. I don't know how anyone survives uh, the Christian life without coming back to this passage and seeing the incredible promises of God in here. Paul begins this passage that we've read by arguing from the greater to the lesser. He says, God hasn't spared his only son from you. God has, has given you his son. He's given you Jesus. And he didn't just give Jesus to us. He didn't just send Jesus to the earth. But this Jesus has lived the perfect life we couldn't live and has died in our place a gruesome death that we really deserve for our rebellion. And what's more, he has risen from the grave and has put an end to death for those who are in him. He's put an end to it that we might have eternity with God. He's saying, so God hasn't spared his only son from you. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's saying, God hasn't withheld the very, very best thing from you. So anything else you ask of God, anything else you need is nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ. It's nothing in comparison and this is a promise we can get a hold of. This is a promise we can grab hold of in prayer. Let me urge you to do that. It shows faith in God. We can say to God, Lord, you didn't spare your son from me. Lord, you didn't withhold the very best thing from me that I needed. And Lord, I'm trusting you that you're going to give me all I need in this situation. We can call out to God for provision of our needs because we can point him to the fact that he has not withheld from us his only son. And that might sound audacious. That might sound kind of cheeky. But actually, that's the kind of faith that God loves. He loves it when we, we take a hold of his character and we take a hold of his promises and we turn them back to him in prayer. Faith pleases him. Now, you may be tempted still to doubt the love of God. Well, very conveniently, Paul continues. Verses 33 to 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. 
You might fear that your actions have kind of, kind of blown it. You might have an accuser. In fact, you do have an accuser. The Bible tells you that you have an accuser, Satan, who will say, okay, that's time's up now. You had a good run. It was going pretty well. But what you have just thought, or what you have just looked at, or what you have just done, whatever you said, that's, that's it now. It's over. That you, 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 there's no way God's going to keep loving you through this. We have an accuser. And it's not always as explicit as that, but we can think thoughts that are of the accuser sometimes. This scripture teaches you that this is not the case. If we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then God himself declares us righteous. Not some human priest. You're not having someone, you know, in a long dress telling you, yeah, you're all right with God because you've told me these things. No, God himself, the judge, declares you righteous. And so Paul's response to this statement is a rhetorical question which says this, who then condemns us? Who is it then that condemns us? The answer is no one. God has the final word. He rules the world. God has promised not to condemn us because we in Christ are covered by Jesus' righteousness. So who can possibly condemn us if Jesus himself is standing in our defense? Jesus who died for us, who rose again, stands in our defense against the accuser. Who's going to take Jesus on? Who's going to take him on, the perfect one who, who had no sin? Who's going to take him on? And try to accuse those who are in him, who are covered in his righteousness. No one can because Jesus is perfect. No one can condemn now because God the judge has said we are righteous. And he doesn't just stand in our defense. He prays for us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus' love is not a memory. It's not just some distant thing that he did for us 2,000 years ago. It's an ongoing moment by moment kind of love. He is actively loving you right now. Jesus Christ is actively loving you right now. And this is incredible, isn't it, to think about it. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. You might be reassured to know we have a prayer prayer army here. And you can write in and you can say, can you please pray for me? And 50 or 60 people will be praying for you. That's quite reassuring, isn't it? How much more reassuring is it to know that Jesus Christ himself is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven and he's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's actively loving you. The reason that Paul can say that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ is because Jesus is alive and he's still loving us now. He didn't just show us his love once when he went to the cross. He is at the right hand of God the Father, and is ruling for us. And he is interceding for us. And he's making sure he is seeing to it that his finished work on the cross sees us safely to eternal joy. That's what he's doing for you right now. Actively loving you right now. Praying for you right now. So we know we won't be condemned when we think we've blown it. What about other troubles in life that may be not of our making? Will these things mean that God's love has failed? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Some of you will know something of one or two of these things. 
Paul knew many of these things. And some of us will go through some of these things in our life. And even last week we see a man on the streets of London arrested for preaching about Jesus. Now we don't know the whole story there, but I don't think it will be long before that becomes a more regular occurrence in this country. It might be less than a decade away, we don't know. Where there will be tribulation, there will be persecution. Will these things separate us from the love of God? Will it be tempting to think that his love has failed if those things happened to us, wouldn't it? But Paul says... Paul says, no, these things will not separate us from the love of Christ. And if we face these troubles, if we try and interpret interpret God's affections on the basis of our present circumstances, then we we will misconstrue his intentions towards us. Sometimes we go through some things that are really perplexing. We think, why are we going through this? Maybe that means God isn't loving towards me. No, we come to the promises of Romans 8. We see his love never ends. All else will fade away, but his love never ends. Sometimes we, you might even be able to relate to this. I've done this in my life. Turned to God in the face of suffering and said, How, you don't love me, God. How can it be that you're supposed to love me and I'm going through this? We don't see all that he sees. It's like a teenager saying to their parents, you don't love me. And they don't realize that actually their parents have the very best intentions for them. In fact, God's intentions for us are far better than a parent's intentions for their child. He's got the very best intentions in his heart towards us. So we mustn't judge God's love by our circumstances. No, we preach to ourselves. God hasn't spared his only son from me. He's interceding. Jesus is interceding for me. He's praying for me. I will trust that his love remains unfaltering for me. And then these amazing verses climax in verses 38 to 39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says in this passage, I am sure. It might say in your translation, I am convinced. It might say, I am persuaded. The Apostle Paul was absolutely convinced of this. All the doubt that he might have once had is long gone. It's long gone. The doubt is not there. He is sure of this. He's persuaded of this. His mind, his conscience, his heart, his whole being were sublimely committed to the thing that he's about to say. When he says, I am sure of this. He's committed to this with everything he has. And I want to ask you the similar question to what I asked you earlier on, but in a slightly different way. Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded that the love of God will never leave you? Are you persuaded of that fact? If you are in Christ, if you've given your life to him, are you persuaded that his love will never leave you? Are you persuaded of this? Are you sure? Can you say like the Apostle Paul, I am sure of this. I'm utterly convinced by this, that nothing, nothing in this life, nothing in the future, nothing in the present, nothing, no, no powers can separate me from the love of God. Can you say that with certainty? I believe that God wants you to say that with certainty. I believe he wants you to say that with certainty. I believe he wants you to know that in your heart. This changes everything when we grasp this. It changes everything. 
We get struck with this amazing love that Christ holds us in. He's got a firm grip on us. When you, when you know that to be true for your life, when you know Jesus has got a firm grip on me, it changes everything. Absolutely everything changes. Because if you think that he's got a loose grip, you're going to live in fear. You're going to live in condemnation. You're not going to be bold in your life because you think, oh, I might go too far and God might let go of me. No, but when you know for sure his love is, his grip is tight on me. His loving grip is firmly on me. It will change everything. We must let this love fill our minds. We must let it fill our minds every day. It is not enough to fill our minds with the love of God on a Sunday. Because what will happen is we will forget it. We will come to doubt it. Did God really say that? And we'll give ourselves to other things. But actually, when we remind ourselves of the love of God every day, that he loves me with a never-failing love, then it will change everything. And the Apostle Paul prays for the churches that he serves. He prays for the church in Ephesus, and he says this, I pray that you might have power to comprehend the love of God. I pray that you might have, you might have special ability to comprehend this love that is for you. This is a love that death cannot kill off. This is a this is a love that nothing in life can kill off. All the present things, all the stuff that you're going through cannot kill off this love. All the things in the future, you might be someone who frets about the future a lot. And you think, what's going to happen when my kids grow up? Or what's going to happen when I've retired? What, am I going to have enough to live on? Am I going to have... Nothing in the future can separate you from the love of God. You might say, I don't know what's going to happen though. Listen, Jesus is the ruler of the future. He's not just the ruler of the present. He's the ruler of the future. As you move forward into the future, guess what? He happens to be in charge there as well. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Jesus is in charge wherever you go. You can't escape his sovereign rule. You can't escape his love. And he's in charge. And so, listen, you don't need to fear because nothing in the present and nothing in the future can separate you from his love. And if this loving, ruling saviour is for us, who can be against us? Who can stand against us? This saviour who was brutally executed, killed in a, in a proper way. They made sure with the spears afterwards, he was dead. <coughs> Buried in a tomb. There was no getting out of that. There was no getting past these Roman soldiers. And yet this Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, bursting forth, powerful, ascended to the right hand of his father. He's ruling and reigning. This is Jesus and he is for you. He is for you. It changes everything to know that. It changes everything to know that his love isn't going anywhere because wherever we go, his love goes with us. So convinced of his love, we can go in love. We can go with this kind of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. We can go and live this self-sacrificial life. And we can go with confidence because God's love never fails. It never drops to the ground. It never collapses under pressure. It's those that are sure of this that are most effective for God in mission. The Apostle Paul was sure of this. And he was very, very effective for God. He was very fruitful for God. There is a strong positive correlation between being convinced of the love of God and being effective for him in mission. You you will go anywhere for God and do whatever he says if you know his love goes with you and that he will provide for you everything that you need. And some of you, you know that to be true. 
You, you kind of, even in stepping out, you're wondering, is it going to be true? Stepping out into mission in your workplace, stepping out into mission in the places where your kids are, stepping out in different ways, stepping out to church plant, whatever it might look like. You've met, some of you know this to be true. You've stepped out and you're not quite sure, but you found it to be true. Even as you stepped out, you found it to be true that God's love never leaves you. We are bound to the living God by a gracious, unchangeable, indestructible love. And when we become sure of that, when we remind ourselves of it, when we come again and again to this truth, then then we can go in confidence to whatever God calls us to do. We can be confident and we can say, I know my God will be with me. I know that he will sustain me. If he hasn't spared his only son from me, I can trust him that he'll give me everything I need. His love never fails. His love never ends for you. And I so want you to grasp this afresh. If you're, if you're someone who kind of flits in and out of this, then you know, you're one day you're, you're sure that God loves you, the next day you're as flat as a pancake. I want you to know God loves you. It's a very simple message. I've basically told you that a hundred times over the last 35 minutes. But you need to know it. You need to know it. It was demonstrated for us ultimately in Jesus laying down his life. Ultimately in Jesus taking our sin and our shame upon himself. Taking our punishment upon himself. Let's pray now. Father, we come to you now and we simply say thank you so much thank you Lord for this incredible love thank you for this never failing love this never collapsing love Lord that is for us your children I want to pray that spirit of God you would help us to have power to comprehend this love that in our hearts right across this room right now you would bring sure assurance you'd bring a certainty that we can say i am sure that nothing will separate me from the love of god and i want to pray father that there'll be men and women across this room who will be courageous and obedient to all you call them to do in the full assurance of your love and your presence with them lord that wherever we go we're we're never going to go beyond the realms of your rule and reign and we're never going to go beyond the realms of your great love so give us courage I pray, give us confidence I pray as we step out into all that you have for us we thank you that your love is perfect and your love never fails and we worship you today in Jesus name Amen Amen Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in.